Hello, everybody. Good evening and welcome to Not Safe for Wonks. I am Brandon Buchanan. And I'm Kennedy Cooper. Uh, Leia? Is, is Leia here? <laughs> no, like she, the Gravel campaign oh, actually called. There was her. an emergency Gravel call. Yeah, like, because you know, Gravel is not quite qualified for the debates. Right. I would assume that it's something related to that. But um, I don't know. She was very vague. She just said she wouldn't be here tonight. So God, this is that feels yeah, like this is like with I'm without anchor right now. Yeah, this is like the pips doing a show without Gladys. It's just oh, we're oh, these other two are here. OK. But um, at the same time, it's an opportunity for us, man. Like we're both going to get like 16 percent more speaking time. Yeah. And um, we can kind of do our presidential candidates. This would be like the third debate right now. Exactly. Like we've (laughs) we've cleared the field. It's just the two of us. We can kind of do a little more back and forth. We can both get a few more of our thoughts in and uh, maybe it'll 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 come out well. Um, We obviously are coming off of a run of very serious shows. I mean, we did the gaming episode that was very deep and serious i think we intended for it to be kind of fun we did the self-help episode um last time we did do you know the 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 people's spending habits the the political spending habits which i think that was a little bit lighter and this time um we're back in the doldrums again (laughs) because we're talking it's a funny subject this is funny because I saw yeah. you say that we should talk about Brexit and Boris Johnson. And like, I would consider that an extremely dark subject just in terms of why people made these political choices and what they're getting out of it. And this very unlikely person's rise to the top. I mean, so what, I think where are the lulls in this guy? You know, I think the UK is a country with a dark history and possibly a dark future. But I also think it's our right as Americans to laugh at them as much as we want. <laughs> I mean, I, I see what you mean. Listen, like, I do see what you mean. Obviously, there's a lot of absurdity in it. But do you not have, like, any sympathy for these poor people who are I going through? For all of the working class people who may slash will be affected by this in a negative way uh the appointment of boris johnson which is just insane the brexit deal which is just also just a just a complete nightmare world kind of situation these Uh, poor scottish people who have desperately tried to claw their way out of it and just have not been allowed to be heard but on the other hand i think that there is sort of a sweet irony to the the uk and specifically britain being like the ultimate world conqueror the birth of imperialism in effect you know who basically like there's only a handful of countries that have never been invaded by britain in some capacity just like anywhere in their history and america in particular like has suffered a lot of pain from that country (laughs) and could speak to Speak to the imperialism. 
if you're in it for Schadenfreude against um, England, you have come to the right fucking place because this is <laughs> Brexit has not only been a total train wreck; it's been a slow motion train wreck. Um, I think everybody in the country understands what a bad idea this is. Um, but there's just no consensus. There's no national resolve to unfuck to unfuck themselves and get out of this bad situation that they've put themselves into. Um, I saw on Twitter uh, at Sue underscore Charles. Uh, she tweeted, "Driving through the Brecon Be- Be- Beacons tonight, was expecting a few election posters. Was surprised to see what looked like a Brexit party bus." Crashed into a hedge. Got out to check all was okay. No one around. Just an abandoned bus. Doors open, side on, blocking a layby. And there's a Brexit bus just crashed in the middle of the road. And you're the David Lynch person here. Would you say this shit looks exactly like something from a David Lynch movie? Absolutely. Especially with the changing politics for good. And, like, the weird color scheme. Like, it's got this, like, sort of retro pink and blue kind of color scheme. Like, it's very surrealist. And it's also absolutely just, like, the perfect metaphor for Brexit. It looks like Brexit is having a baby, but they're not sure what gender it is. (laughs) Um, And, in fact, they decided halfway through that the whole gender reveal thing was problematic. They're just going to ditch the whole thing. Um... I just love the mental image of, by the way, somehow they sideswiped the entire road. So they just swerved and came to a stop. They couldn't move. Literally, this is the perfect metaphor for Brexit. Just a bus blocking a road with no real explanation and no accountability. (laughs) It can't go forward. It can't go back. It can't get out of the way. Everyone just looked around (laughs) and was like, well, let's just get the fuck out of here. Let's not even worry about it. And they all just slid out the bus and I guess they caught an Uber or something. Love to be their Uber driver. Hey, mate. Uh, hey, man. In fact, uh, Taika Waititi's the Uber driver. Hey, man, uh, you got a Brexit bus there. Oh, yeah, we're going to just get on here and uh, and leave and go home. <laughs> oh, come on, man, let's go. I don't know how to do the Kiwi accent, except you say men instead of man. Um, <laughs> man, I, I think it's just a completely screwed situation. Um, they mean, obviously... A situation that was founded, you know, it, it, with by people who had no plan, whose goal was blatantly basically just to, like, muck shit up. Uh, and they just played into all of these fears that people have, you know? Um, all this like anxiety about you know immigration and stuff that's like not even reality. Brexit was like completely a political maneuver, and the left yeah. had very little to do with Brexit. It was just the right fighting off the hard, the yeah, super having right having a field day. So David Cameron, you know, had been getting criticized for his dealings with Europe. And more and more people wanted to just leave the EU altogether. So his plan was, I'll hold a vote. And it'll be a non-binding referendum. And everybody can weigh in. 
And of course, nobody would actually choose to leave the Eve. Um, and so I will be able to take this victory and tell the yeah. Brexit people to shut the hell up because there was a vote. So my my political, you know, leverage will increase when we go through this vote. And of course, the problem was um, it passed. The, so for the people who were pro-Remain, that pro-Remain campaign, the wonks got in charge and they started making pamphlets and they started passing out fact sheets and they started talking about uh, our trade agreements and embargoes and deals like that. And someone much smarter than them, and someone's going to be very insulted that I said Boris Johnson was smarter than uh, David Cameron and company. And it's important, <laughs> it's important to remember that, first of all, Boris Johnson was not really strongly, he didn't have a strong opinion on Brexit to begin with. And in fact, uh, he wrote two, two or three different essays on the topic of Brexit in order to make up his own mind. And because he's not really the kind of person who has ideas or has a philosophy, he just kind of talks and he yeah. kind of just slides into things based on what personally excites him. And he's a little bit like a uh, little bit like Trump in that he gets he goes on on stage and he gets a dial and he turns the dial and he looks back at the audience and he sees what they cheer for and he just kind of goes with it. He's like a savant. Um, and to be real, like that's honestly like that's it wasn't just him. That's like all of Brexit, because, again, there was never a plan. No. Uh, and I don't I don't even want to come out on here as like a thousand percent pro EU, because I think that the EU has some problematic elements that we might want to talk about sometime, even if we don't get into much of that today. Um, just in terms of like its its history and its founding and how certain countries were treated and how sort of certain economic things were done. Like there are definitely people that benefited and people that lost from the creation of the EU. And that's not how it should have been. And one of the problems I think that the Labour Party has had, you know, Jeremy Corbyn gets a lot of blowback for being so far to the left. But I think one of the main things that's actually hurt his popularity has been Brexit is like the defining issue of the country. And he yeah. he would rather cut his wrists open than support the EU because he opposes it from the left and just thinks of it as a bad institution anyway. Um, the the problem is like he would obviously like I think in his in his heart he would like Brexit under completely different circumstances like he would like a completely left oriented um, removal from Brexit which w one of the problems is everybody has their own vision of what the idea of Brexit would look like and nobody's idea has enough popular support to be a real thing yeah. um, but given well, that. There's yeah, there's these big problems. And like, you know, it's like you have the left, the left flank with Jeremy Corbyn kind of leading the way and and his sort of like the people on his side sort of have this vision of Brexit that is completely incompatible with what the right flank wants. And, it, and issues like the the North Ireland backstop are kind of like at the head of that. Well, explain what that explain what that is. 
Okay, so, yeah, because this was a little confusing to me at first, too, but I get it now. <laughs> Just to be real with you, audience, like, if you're wondering about this backstop that everyone's mentioning and why it matters. Tell them you're a fucking expert. Like. I mean, tell me I, about this. I'm, I'm saying I'm here. I'm an expert. I'm here to fucking explain it to you now if you've been scratching Great. your head about it. Because I was at first when I first was reading about Brexit um, a while back. But uh, basically, so. um. Ireland is a member of the EU on their own and won't be leaving the EU. But Northern Ireland is a part of the UK and will be leaving the EU. And so the situation that they're in is that um, there are people who want this border to basically remain a free trade border. But that's like very bizarre because you would have this one inconsistent free trade border and there's a lot of potential for abuse in something like that. So every other border into the UK from the EU would be controlled, you know, just like if you tried to bring cheese from France over here to America, like the hoops that you'd have to go through, right? Uh, it'd be controlled like that, you know, back to the way it was instead of the like pretty free trade, just kind of like do whatever EU attitude that you have right now um so having this one border being consistent would be super weird and like just like it's not good for anyone to have this one border there but the problem is that you know how can you have ireland and northern ireland sharing this landmass, sharing a border but like completely governmentally restricted from one another it just doesn't make any... The whole thing is just a super clusterfuck. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's a no-go. And obviously there was no pre-planning for any of this shit that happened. And I no. started to mention this. Boris Johnson, like, campaign... I feel in my gut that the guy campaigned against Brexit because... Well, first of all, he's never liked Europe. Like, that was his come-up as a reporter was like making articles, making fun of Brussels and the EU and shit. So he goes up there and he thinks that the anti, you know, EU side is more fun. So he gets in the bus and he talks about the NHS and giving them 300 million pounds a week or whatever the number was. And um, what else? What else? He also had this gimmick where he would take asparagus with him and he would say, uh, the the asparagus is more expensive because it has to be subject to EU regulations and the farmers can't afford to farm. And when we get away from Brexit, um, we will get, um, you know, the asparagus prices we deserve. Yeah. Like you're, we're saying that as a joke, but like people found that to have an appeal to them and it really wasn't, um, totally about um prices and rates and shit it was really their sense of internationalism and it was a reaction against that it was yeah. england and, and did not feel english yeah there was a nativist to them kind of undercurrent i mean and that's like i mean the nativism is just like a part of boris character basically <laughs> Right. Uh, like stretching all the way back to, like you say, his time as a journalist. Yes. 
And so he just really played up that aspect of like, yeah, strong Britain, free Britain. The thing that really blows my mind is um, like when we talk about um, who were really against the EU and were really whipped up about nativism and immigration and all this other stuff. It's people that didn't even didn't even live near immigrants and don't have have no knowledge of living in a city, living in a diverse area. But they just see on the news like there's a lot of brown people in London, and it's like we got to stop this. And <laughs> that exists in America too. What's like that is not a uniquely it. British thing. What's crazy about it too is that Britain at this point has this culture that has deeply mixed with Indian culture on a lot of levels. And there are a lot of people, you know, with strong Indian roots that live in Britain and are even in the government and stuff. And you have a few of these people who are like, you know, Indian descent, British citizen, you know, probably born in Britain, like who are like Tories and stuff who are for Brexit. And that's just like, wild to have like come that far around to where like i don't think anybody in britain hardly has a problem with people from india living in britain at this point but but those muslims showing up holy shit so like it's just a wild thing how like they can't even see how their own sort of history has become entwined you know with like some brown people and it didn't ruin everything, you know, <laughs> like everything's yeah. like, you know, still, still functioning the way they wanted it to from the beginning, whether that's good or not depends on your general view of geopolitical history. But still the point is, is that like from the perspective of British politics, their system still works, even though Indian culture has had a huge influence on modern Britain. Obviously. Like, very obviously. So it's not and, like all these Muslims coming in are just going to, like, derail their fucking government. <laughs> of course not. Like, it's the people that have nothing to do with the, the situation <laughs> that are the most upset. And the problem is, like, it really should be... There should really be another vote. Because every solution yes. that is being farted around has already been voted down um yes at this point not to have they've had multiple negotiations right but the problem is the the system in the uk is not based on proportional representation no it's first past the post so the conservative party needs to be ahead of the curve on actually doing brexit since there was a vote in brexit one otherwise the Brexit party or whoever else uh, can demagogue against them. So yeah. they can't be the ones that stop it. And again, Corbyn is very lukewarm on the EU as it is. So there's, there's nobody willing to like eat the elephant. Um, they're yeah. all just passing the buck around and they all want to be the party that watches the other party screw up and say that they could have done a better job, which, funnily enough, is literally what Boris Johnson did 
to get to this position. He was the face of the um, anti-EU campaign. And then once the actual thing got passed and Cameron stepped down, everybody looked at Boris like, so, all right, you're going to take over and do all this stuff that you said you were going to do, right? Um, And he's like, no, are you fucking crazy? That looks hard. Uh, Let's get a woman in here to do it. And so uh, (laughs) Theresa May, who's, you know, really bad in her own way, but, you know, basically became the the Ellen Powell of Brexit. Everybody comes in there and and screams at her. And so she, you know, finally gets this big promotion she wanted. She's a shitty person, but she was also given literally no chance. Of course, like a completely Literally impossible, no completely impossible job. Wait, wait a minute. You, Whoa. You, you didn't think you're going to get in an episode without me, did you? you you're really going to fucking shaft well, me out of the royalties here? You, well, first of all, <laughs> like, first of all, <laughs> this was a, this is true. Team. You did catch us on that. This is like true leftist shit. People bickering over money that doesn't exist. Um, there's nothing more <laughs> left than, ar- than than arguing over the distribution of power that you do not have. Um, so good job in coming in and living up to that tradition. Second of all, you said that you were doing some emergency shit for the Gravel. So I just right, assumed that... the Gravel emergency. You- I mean, yeah, it, so, it, it was, but I, I, I assumed in turn that you guys were gonna, you know, put it off or something. You're gonna, you're gonna uh, accept oh my God. the like, Gravel, the Gravel yeah. emergency. Oh, we're supposed to just treat it like Brexit, just keep putting it off over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just supposed to pass a resolution and um, episode ten like will the be made. Stop. That's the resolution. <laughs> <laughs> Treat it like it's a budget standoff, and this is a continuing resolution. <laughs> so, All right. listen, welcome, we, welcome we were talking about... Uh, yeah, I, I assume we're talking about Brexit? Yeah, we're talking about Brexit. Boris frickin' Johnson. Uh, yeah, we're talking about... He's like... He, th- this man is like the epitome of white privilege. To run around with his hair... And suit looking like he's a he's a freaking unruly schoolboy who like didn't want to get ready this morning. Like if 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 like the leader of like Iran showed up to some meeting like that, we would bomb them tomorrow. We'd be like, look, they're unhinged. <laughs> like this he, guy's a maniac. You know what? You know what? It's would, like would... Boris Johnson. Uh, Boris Johnson's kind of dress and haircut. It's like he's a six-year-old uh, in an upper-class household. And he's and like, I don't want to be <laughs> prime minister today. It's you got to no, do it, no, Boris. No, Boris. It's fancy. No, Boris. It's fancy. It's fancy dress dinner tonight. We've been planning this for weeks. You have to. You have to get into your suit. But the tie is too tight. I don't care about the tie. I don't care if the tie is too tight. You have to wear it, Boris. The comb hurts. Fine. <laughs> Your hair looks Listen. terrible, but it's it'll be fine. If Iran had a president that dressed like Boris Johnson, not only would we bomb them to the Stone Age, 
we would drop uh, DVDs of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy on the Survivors <laughs> uh, just in case. <laughs> um, in, in, instead of sending the army uh, to lock the area down, we would send in the fashion police to patrol yeah. whatever was left. Um, like, like no, no world leader would be allowed to look like this except for somebody who's just dripping in privilege the way the British PM it's, is. It's definitely true that only a white guy could could do that and get away with it. But it's also true that like once you bypass the Obama couldn't racism, wear a tan suit. <laughs> well, they got Obama for looking too good. Like he made people feel embarrassed about themselves. Um <laughs> as far as as far as the Boris thing goes, like he has always been able to throughout his entire career be the not safe for wonks candidate in terms of just being totally different from what everybody else was doing. Uh, he was able to uh, talk differently and walk differently. And because he's so like sloppy, it lowered the mm-hmm. expectations for him. Uh so when he does things and he is under unplanned or underwhelming, it's like, well, it was Boris Johnson. What did you expect? It, it's almost <laughs> it's almost a little like a like a John Stewart thing. If you yell at him and you take him seriously, he says, "Well, like I'm here telling jokes. Like, isn't it weird that you take me so seriously uh, for for me to be here doing a a stupid comedy show?" And then once you engage him on that level. Then he beats you of seriousness and people go, oh, you're not even as funny as the comedy podcast guy. Um, yeah, you're not as so funny it's or just, smart, you know. Exactly. So yeah. he gets into that, that zone. And again, people like him for their own emotional reasons. Um, and he's able to be provocative in ways that, you know, everybody can't because he's not serious enough to be taken seriously. He he does resemble Trump in that uh his rise to sort of political fame and power was sort of always like dressed in these trappings of people being like we shouldn't let this guy represent our party but then he gets there and they're like well whatever he's the guy now which of course is like the problem that the GOP has with Trump right now where you know, like a lot of people in the GOP that today are licking Trump's boots were in 2016 saying, guys, don't elect this dumbass. They have all fallen in line, you know. And this is, I mean, Boris Johnson's election was completely internal to the conservatives. So they had their choice of, you know, three or four other geeks. And this is the guy who was the guy that they actually wanted for this job um literally i'm I'm trying i'm struggling to think who wanted boris johnson who okay but let's be let's be clear about this the tories like their their party platform is basically just be evil right like even for a conservative party (laughs) i would say their goal is more to just sustain themselves to continue to exist um I mean, I I don't know what Theresa May's goals were with the EU. I mean, she just had the negotiation 
and again, nobody could come up with anything that was like a good enough bargain because everybody has their own idea in their heads. So whatever she brought to the table Mm -hmm. just got blown out. Um, Because like the real politics have to compete with people's fantasies and the fantasies are good enough for you to get in power, but they're not always enough for you to like exercise that power once you have it. And Boris Johnson is going to run into that fucking wall. And I assume you know, yeah, if all I mean, negotiations he, he fall is, through. He is just another another person who's kind of just going to get screwed here, probably. <laughs> if I, if I, all I, falls through, yeah. they're going to have to do it with no deal, and that's going to just destroy their economy, and he'll be left holding the bag. Absolutely. Like, you, nobody wants to be the prime minister who went through Brexit, and that's why that's why Theresa May resigned. His... his Kind of his best hope is to have a is to have an election occur before Brexit happens, and then uh, Corbyn gets a minority government, uh, and he's unable to uh, put off No Deal Brexit. The country goes to shit. Uh, the Tories can blame it all on Corbyn and then Labour, and then uh, and then the Tories get prime ministership for the next twenty I, years. I don't <laughs> think that would. I don't. I. The same reason that they don't want Sanders to be in charge, they really do not want Corbyn in charge. Just because no. I think whatever the happens to the economy, what he would do with that pulpit is going to like is going to shift the discourse so much um, that I, I think mm. that it would just do a lot of damage to that ruling class. But you know, if there's a no deal Brexit, they've got to. Like they become like a foreign importer to Europe, which means yeah. like all the prices, yeah, all the prices skyrocket. And the funny thing is too, like the EU um, early on, especially a lot of the people, uh, you know, like these reps in the EU were basically just telling, you know, the UK, hey, why don't you just basically put this off indefinitely? You know, like, like they, they. The e a lot of people in the EU didn't want this, but on the other hand, the EU was way more prepared for this than the UK was because the EU sort of had had realized that you know member states might leave. Uh, yeah, and they sort of they sort of had plans in place for for that. Um, so so they were sort of prepared for this when it happened, and then the UK just was not at all. And I think that like. There's only so much goodwill that can possibly go around to like just keep giving the UK another extension or whatever while they're still also being antagonistic as fuck towards everyone. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. Theresa May, one of the big problems with her prime ministership just in general was that she was, you know, sort of trying to like cozy up to these EU leaders by day but sort of like shouting nativism at her at her like base level support at night. And like those two messages don't go together. One hundred percent. And it's like Boris Johnson keeps uh he has said that he wants to fucking renegotiate the withdrawal agreement or whatever. And the EU has repeatedly said, We're not doing that. We're not renegotiating anything. 
And it's just so fucking infuriating because as, as you said, you know, the Tories are living in a, in a fantasy world right now. They really are. Yeah. The better the deal is that the UK gets, the more of an incentive it is for other people to leave. So the UK has no incentive to do any favors to for the UK at all. Um, they also don't need to like actively screw them over or anything because then that creates its own narrative of, right. well, you see the, these tyrants in Brussels are screwing people over. So they're basically just letting Theresa May or Boris or whoever comes in there just knock their head against the wall um, because they have their own people that they've got to appeal to and shit. So they're just stuck. You get in that job and you are completely stuck. And it's interesting to see how the people in charge are stuck in new ways every month. I, I mm-hmm. just think this is why part of what I mean, or this kind of ties into why I, I laugh at this because Britain has spent all of this time sort of on top of the world, literally hundreds of years being this like global dominant force pillaging resources from other countries to make themselves rich and like they finally put themselves into a situation where they might lose it all like they've been winning for hundreds and hundreds of years and now they've finally been dealt a hand that just is going absolutely nowhere and everybody else is looking at them across the table and it's clear that the eu has a fucking royal flush that they're just sitting on over there. I, 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 it's kind of, I, I mean, honestly, it's not they've been dealt a bad hand. It's like, it's like they were given the opportunity to stack the deck and they put the worst cards imaginable. They just like stacked it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> they miscounted. <laughs> they had their own, they had their own deal with the EU. They had their own special yeah. trade privileges and shit. And they just lit it on fire out of economic anxiety. <laughs> like, I just, I still feel like the Brexit thing is just very racist. And I know some reply guy is going to listen to this episode eventually and be like, it's an exaggeration to call this racism, blah, blah. It's like, I don't care. Okay. This is a yeah. rejection of globalization. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, I don't I don't care what kind of narrative you want to wrap it in. You know, if we don't call out racism on a low level, then we shouldn't be surprised when, like, high key racism starts happening everywhere. Fucking. (laughs) And this is this is low key racist. The whole Brexit thing. (laughs) That's where a lot of this kind of just comes from at all. It's like it doesn't even it didn't even come from, like, economic anxiety, really. It was just like this. Like I say, have, I've been saying this whole time, just this nativist identity thing was just like so powerful because economically, you don't really have to look at this very hard to see that there's like basically no way Britain wins economically by leaving the EU. The, the, the economy is guaranteed to just fuck up entirely. There's going to be, there's almost certainly going to be food rationing because, um, of the disruption in importing food. It's just going to be terrible. Or they're going to have to relax their food standards a lot. Is something I was reading about. Yeah. Yeah. They want to, 
uh, Bojo has been angling towards a trade deal with the UK or with uh, the US. And uh, like Nancy Pelosi has said that uh, we'd only enter we'd only enter into a trade deal with the UK if the Irish backstop was fixed, which which um, Johnson has said he wants to scrap. And by the Irish backstop, I mean uh, the prevention of a hard border in uh, between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Yes. So yeah, you know, <laughs> nobody really wants to. Nobody wants to touch a post-Brexit Britain, except for the uh, except for the ravenous vultures of capital, of course. Well, obviously, Donald Trump will have incentive to give them a sweet yeah. deal. Well, actually, you know yeah. what? He might not, but they're all counting on him to do that. But I think Trump will look at that situation and see leverage. I don't think he has any deep and abiding love for the people of England. Especially because he's going to be like, oh, totally very not. bad people over there protested me. Uh, they made a blimp of me in a diaper. Uh, screw them. And they're like, they're all relying on Trump after all of this EU stuff goes down. That he will give them like, not just a fair deal, but like a sweetheart deal. And they'll be very disappointed yeah. if that is not the case. That That is um, like a very risky deal to be betting on. <laughs> I mean, it's like the uh, UK has some amount of leverage with the EU right now, but they have no leverage with the US. There is nothing that, 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 oh. the, that the UK can pull. A lot of people have gone broke uh, depending on Donald Trump to bail them out. And uh, if Boris Johnson is not sure about that, he should get on the telly with uh, Michael Cohen and and they should talk about like who's gonna screw who in that kind of situation. He's not really a good dude to be loyal to. He'll he'll knife you up. Yeah, um, yeah. I was gonna go to when we talk about the Brexit being um, low key, at least low key racist. Do you guys think uh, ethno states are inherently racist? Uh, yeah. How could they? How could they not be? I'm kind of confused. I, 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 I feel I like you're leading into your take. What, what's your no, take? No, I'm not My leading. I'm not leading yes. into. A, I'm not leading into a pro ethno state take. But oh, okay, I just think that okay, there are good. a lot of. I think there are a lot of people who would uh, who would say, "Well, listen, we're just trying to preserve ethnicity. We're trying to preserve culture." So when when like France protests Disneyland because. Disney is not sufficiently French. Um, is, is that a low-key racist take? Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily racist, but in that case in particular, but it is sort of uh, damagingly nativist. And, and it's, it's the sort of take that feeds it, it, into it, it, racist narratives in the long yeah, run. Yeah, it's, it's appealing to a national, <laughs> to a supranational identity that informs racism like a kind of cultural supremacy type thing obviously they're well, not being racist against like anglos but it inf but that right. those attitudes inform racism the concept of cultural preservation is is really ah, distorted in this context i feel like I, I this like bringing it into this context like it's one thing to say Hey, let's not destroy 
like every cultural monument or like every artifact that's like sacred to people. And like, even if those people are gone, maybe we put some of them in museums so that we remember that this stuff happened here on earth. Um, like, like that's like sort of what I think of when I think of cultural pre preservation, in like a positive context. But when these people tend to talk about cultural preservation in like a neoconservative sort of context, um, what they're really talking about is something that's completely unrealistic and completely ahistorical because even the cultures yeah. that they're claiming that they want to preserve, all of those cultures were based on change and integration um, and, and they were not you know, happening in some vacuum and then cultural mixing happened like just recently. That's a completely insane false narrative that has nothing to do with reality. Cultural mixing has always been the reality. Yeah, 100%. P people, honestly, most kind of neoconservatives that whine about like immigration affecting cultural preservation is just mental gymnastics to be like, we don't want those stinking brown people. This is a whack. It's a white people country. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, dressed up in more fancy terms. Like, culture is always evolving. And, you know, the what we would call American culture today would be entirely different if, you know, uh, if not for the contributions of black people, if not for the contributions of Hispanic people, if not for the contributions of any number of groups. So to say that like there is a white culture that exists and needs to be protected is wrong on so many levels, man. Also, culture is the it's it's basically like the acts and thoughts of people today. It's it's what people do as communities and as individuals that sort of identifies them as being a part of something or from something uh it, it's 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 an inherently living activity and so like for instance like i'm sure that there are probably some people right now that would say like if football died out and soccer replaced it that would be like the death of white american culture or something but like yeah. if soccer is just more popular in America, then that's just American culture. And that's just the natural way culture changes. And it's not just mm -hmm. because more brown people moved in. Like I like soccer better than football. It's a generational thing too, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like it's like, it's the same sort of people that make arguments against language evolving and are heavy perspective prescriptivists like I, I linguistics and, and dialects is kind of an interest of mine so i could go off on this but i'll try to keep it somewhat restrained but it's like people that say oh they is they is only plural you can't use they as a singular when that's historically incorrect and linguistically incorrect and just a judgment you can't make it's the same sort of people that think that the language we speak now has always been the language we speak and right. needs to be protected and sheltered against those dirty, icky minorities who speak AAV. AAV isn't a real language. It's, it's, just, it's just English spoken badly. It's, it's, Nobody's it's ever called... Nobody who's protesting AAVE has ever called it AAVE. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I I couldn't find I 
I, I struggle call to it find that. A, an appropriate they call it that e- name for it. They call it that Ebonics. Yeah. <laughs> that Ebonics. That is a loaded but, um, name, though. Yeah, I think that one of the other things that's really interesting about, like, the Brexit situation is that a lot of those places in England have been in decline for 20 years or 25 years or 30 years. And anytime that you put something wildly different in front of them, they tend to support it just because, well, what the, the neoliberal world order that we've got going on right now is not benefiting me. And when we talk about similarities Mm -hmm. between that and Trump, I mean, that is one of those similarities. Uh, A lot of people who are working class and, and lower or barely hanging on the the economic progress of free trade and uh, all of the other stuff doesn't trickle down to them at all. Um, it's like a plant that is indoors and away from the window and locked in a closet with a big ass heavy chain on the door. So the, yeah. they're in there and they don't know the difference between whether the sun is out or not. Because none of it gets into them. Maybe there's a little crack underneath the door, mm-hmm. but it's not like enough. So you voting for Brexit is like, um, you know, buying Powerball tickets. It's like, I yeah. this is something. I don't know what what it's gonna do, but it's somewhere between a Powerball ticket and a protest. Um, it's yeah, give me something different than what I've got right now. God, I, I just I hope that something relatively good comes out of the UK because it increasingly seems like there's going to be a, um, a conservative minor, a, a Tory minority government with Brexit and things are just going to go get worse and worse until we actually have V for Vendetta. Listen, there's always more and it's always worse. So you never need to worry. You never need to wonder. That's hell world, baby. <laughs> it always gets worse all the time. Yeah, baby. Let's ride this rocket all the way down to the ground. Yep. You know, I, I, I just want to say that uh, to continue from the language point a minute ago, I just find it so rich that like Spanish is also an imperialist language. When people here in America get angry about people speaking Spanish, it's like, both those languages came from Europe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like, it, there's just no sense to it. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just something that just kind of... I struggle to wrap my head around on a regular basis. Me neither. Yeah. Me neither. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, anyways. I do. I do wonder... Uh, do you think Boris Johnson will like last very long, or or is this like a really fleeting occurrence of him being in office? I think, despite all reason and common sense, he will hang on by the skin of his toenails for at least a, a couple years, a small period of time. Interesting. I, I feel like my optimistic projection is that Avonk is going to be called um, before October 31st, and it's going to squeak by because um, 
the government, the government, the working government majority plus the DUP is like only one or two seats. So you only need a few um, Tory rebels. And I, I feel like, and this is the strategy that Labour has been playing. Once we get closer to no deal and once Boris Johnson uh, is able to make more of an ass of himself on the world stage, mm-hmm. that you're going to get like two or three um, Tory uh policy civility wonks who are like maybe we shouldn't do this and you get you get a you get a general election you get a minority tory government with like maybe probably snp maybe the lib dems maybe the greens but my hell world prediction which is probably going to come come true Hmm. is that uh boris johnson isn't going to face election for like five years by some electoral magic <laughs> he's, he's gonna be he's gonna be prime minister forever like the 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 uk will have been nuked in uh in the third in the third world war and you're still gonna have the boris johnson messily strutting around his, his zombified body ambling around the des- destroyed halls of parliament <laughs> still making gaffes to oh. no one Listen, since since this podcast is not Chapel Trap House, can there be anything positive that we can get from this? What would it take to improve the situation in England? Um, what hope is there, and what what makes is there anything that makes you guys feel um, less than a hundred percent hell world about the situation? I mean, maybe Boris Johnson will make such a fool of himself that. You know, this whole thing of him being prime minister doesn't last very long. Uh, And Jeremy Corbyn is able to execute some kind of sweet deal with the EU where maybe like Britain stays in but gets some extra, you know, trade agreements or something. I mean, this is pretty idealistic, but you you said to visualize something good. (laughs) I I, I, I mean, if if you're looking at the polls... Um, if you're looking at the polls, Boris Johnson received a, a big boost from becoming prime minister. The Tories got like plus, depending on which poll you're reading, five to ten points. But I feel like once Boris Johnson is PM and like does shit, it's not going to work out. And uh, Jez is probably going to going to inch up. And if you remember 2017, uh, the Tories were well ahead of Labour like um 10 to 12 points and then they called the election and then the electioneering happened and it just sunk the polling sunk and instead of solidifying their majority they moved into a minority so what i'm hoping is that the hope is that labor is able to overtake the conservatives in the polls once uh, boris johnson has some more opportunities to make an ass of himself and we move into a uh, Corbyn government that picks up the ashes of what's left of the uh, of the UK, and you know he can start moving the political conversation more leftward. So that's that that's my hope. That's my hope. Let's let's be real about something, um, which is that like Boris Johnson and Trump, one of the ways that they're similar, besides having shitty blonde hair, is that they uh they both sort of represent 
these like sort of desperate grasps of conservative parties that are being propped up by non-democratic systems. Uh, like if we if we were to eliminate the electoral college here and we were to institute like a wide series of voting reforms, including like the end of gerrymandering, uh, the GOP would have like five seats. Yeah. Like their party would be over. And I don't know quite as much about British politics as I know about American politics. But as I understand it, it's kind of similar over there. And that if you took away every weird, wonky uh, political advantage that the Tories have, they basically would be like four people. And th- none of this would be happening right now. Yeah. I mean, the UK doesn't have a constitution. It has uh, 700, 700 years of weird royal documents put together into one like casserole of garbage and they need a real constitution the house of lords still exists and does things sometimes they still have the queen which in theory can do things but doesn't it's just a byzantine mess and i hope to i hope to god that um corbyn takes control of the uk abolishes the house of lords turns it into a republic uh, puts in proportional representation and makes it like a real democracy or not a real democracy. Cause you know, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm a weirdo anarchist. So what I'd consider we real democracy is far off from a nation state, but closer to a real democracy than the bizarre remnant of the 1400s system that they have right now. Right. <sighs> yeah. And I, I've been kind of eyeing, like, moving to Scotland as a long-term aim. And if it was, like, a, a kind of sucked um, uh, de- democratic system under, under Corbyn, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. That'd be great. But people do n- note when um, something becomes a rolling clusterfuck. Like, people can spot an embarrassing situation given enough time. And mm-hmm. I do think that this situation currently, uh, although there are, are still a lot of people that are steadfast for Brexit by any means, um, are there is a clusterfuck and people are noticing yeah. it. And when that happens, people will eventually uh, make choices that even if there aren't enlightened choices, uh, will get folks away from the clusterfuck. So even if we can't hope for an end to imperialism in uh, the very heart of imperialism in the world, uh, it is good that uh, people will notice and people will get away from that. The farce of this shit is being exposed. And that's good. That's always good when people know what fucking hilarious bullshit is going on. Um, well, I think all, we can all just hope that the Brexit situation somehow gets better, that maybe Britain doesn't leave the EU or that they do leave the EU, but on some really favorable terms uh, that basically let everybody keep just doing what they're doing. And maybe it's just more of a formality. It was, it, it was definitely fun to have a laugh. At it, totally, nonetheless. totally. Nonetheless, and Leah, I'm uh, glad you managed to 
sneak in here on us. Yeah, we were doing some uh, top secret work against some of the uh, under one percenters, really hoping that we can sneak Ravel on stage. You know, do, do some kind of uh, Ocean's Eleven swap the swap the limos as they roll in type shit. Well, we'll be hoping to see it. But even if we don't see it, we'll be enjoying the debates, which will probably have already happened yeah. by the time this episode comes out. Yeah, um, and if, <laughs> if, you're wa- if you're watching this in the future, we hope Marianne did well. And we hope you're... On that note, this is Not Safe for Wonks. Leia Rose. Brandon. Thanks. I'm Kennedy Cooper. Thanks, see ya. bye. Bye-bye.